Good morning, White Oak. It's good to see each of you here today. I'm Rick Schonkweiler. I'm the senior minister for White Oak Christian Church. Sometimes, you know, I think in terms of God as my dad, and sometimes there's just a time when I can remember my kids would, would fall and get hurt, and the only thing that they would do at that point in time, in tears in their eyes, is that they would just put their hands up to me. I would reach down, pick them up. There was nothing I could do. Maybe I'd put a little water on their cut or something else or take them to the hospital, but I could not change their circumstances, but I could comfort them. So let, let me ask you to do this. Just close your eyes. and If you need a hug from God today, just put your hands in the air. Okay, close your eyes. If you need a hug from God, just, I'm not even going to have my eyes open. I don't know who's raising their hands. But let him hug you. Let him care for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for touching our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The reason I say this is as we jump into the 16th chapter of Romans, we're coming to the end of this amazing letter that the Apostle Paul has written to a group of people he doesn't really know. He's, he's heard the divisions. The Jews don't like the Gentiles. There are those in power. There are those who think privilege gets them into the kingdom of God. And, and so he's writing to them. We get into this 16th chapter and we see some new things. As, as Americans, we're not real good at taking risks. We're not real good at, at moving out into uncharted territory. I was amazed. I was thinking this through this week. And, you know, once I turned 65, and those of you who are over 65 know you get bombarded from September to December the 7th to make up your mind about Medicare. Millions of ways in which you could be covered with insurance and everybody's afraid that we are going to go bankrupt because we're just going to get old and everybody else is going to take our money. We just don't like risk. But, but I can also buy insurance for my car. I can buy liability insurance. I can buy insurance for my insurance. I, I can buy health insurance. I can buy insurance on my microwave so that when I put the fork in the microwave and it blows up, somebody else will pay for it. I mean, insurance, insurance, insurance. And I'm not talking against the insurance agency. I have great friends who are insurance agents. But I'm talking about us. We don't like risk. We don't like stepping in to new places. <laughs> Often it's accompanied too by this you can't trust anybody attitude that you see in our culture today. I mean, that, that's a challenge that we run into. It's like we're on an island alone, caring for ourselves alone. But as a Christian, being a Christian means two things. Number one, you signed up for risk. And number two, you signed up to be in a family that would walk along through these risky times with you. We see less of that in the American culture because we have so many different ways that we take care of ourselves. But in the first century, Christians were hunted down. Christians were hated. Christians were not appreciated. I, I experienced a little of that in Nepal, not, not much towards me because being an American in that country meant, and first of all, I'm 6'4", and most Nepalis are 5'4", so I'm a foot higher than all the rest of them. I also have this different skin color than they do too, so I stand out in the crowd. They knew that I wasn't Nepali, and they figured I was either Canadian or American. Both of them they like. But we had people that came, Nepal is about the size of Tennessee, and we were in Kathmandu, smack in the middle of this, this particular country. And we had people come, leaders of the church, who wanted to be trained. They would travel eight to ten hours to travel about as far as what you and I might travel to get to Shelbyville, Indiana. Took them eight to ten hours to get there because the roads are awful. They also had to be very aware that people were targeting them to find out where they were going and all those kinds of things that were going on. 
it's risky to be a Christian in Nepal. Not so much in the U.S. as that part happens. But sometimes even, even here, you feel like you're alone. But the truth that we have today is this. I am not alone. I'm not alone. That's what Romans 16 is about. Oftentimes we jump into a little bit of what Paul teaches towards the end of that chapter, but I want to jump in to the first part. It's a list of names, but it's way more than names. These, these names Paul writes down because he's dense with his theology here and relationships. Paul doesn't say that Jesus saves us in a vacuum and it's only for us. No, no, no. He saves us together, too. There have been people who've taught me the gospel. There are people who have lived out the gospel in my, my presence too, who have encouraged me and helped me along the way. And that's what happens here in this 16th chapter. Most of these people he mentions here, he doesn't know. But notice the God language that's all the way through this time. He says, he talks about Lord, Christ, Jesus, church, sisters, brothers, saints, apostles, Gentiles, elect, holy, loved, first fruit, servants. Approved in Christ. All of them are full of a God-centered meaning about their relationships. But you see, Paul's not explaining here. He is greeting. And he's greeting all these people because they're in Christ. And there's some things we can learn from what Paul does in this greeting. I just want to read you the first seven or eight verses here as we go along. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who's a deacon in the church in Chinria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she's been helpful to many, especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also, give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend, Eponidas. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who are in prison with me. They're highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Ampelitis. Missed that one. There you go. My dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend, Stackies. You go down through that list, those first 16 verses or so, and you just see 27 different names. And in each one of them, Paul talks about some aspect of relationship that he has, whether he's met them or not, because they're in Jesus. Let's dive in. I, I want to take a look at the big picture of this passage, and then we'll look at some specifics. First of all, take a look at the names. Just notice them. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, we have them back at the hub. Pick one up before you leave or get a good app on your phone. And Oftentimes I read from there. There are 27 people named here. 26 of them are in Rome. One of them, Phoebe, comes from outside of Rome to be with them. She's been, made her way there. And what we learn in the 16th chapter is that names matter. Names matter. That, that's one of the things that I try to do is get to know your names and try to call you by name. How important that is, right? When a person can call you by name and knows you by name, as that part goes on, I'm amazed. Jesus knows your name. John 10, 3 says, The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So my encouragement to you is get to know names. Get to know the people who are the names. And begin to encourage them in their walk with Jesus. Paul knows that 
many of these folks in Rome, even though he's never been there, because they've come from other places where they've met him before. Second thing I want you to notice are the different relationships and, and partnerships that are here. There's some remarkable words that are used when Paul introduces these people to each other. He calls them saints and patrons and fellow workers and kinsmen and fellow prisoners, beloved, mother to me. And the more you connect with people, the more different and the more enriching are the ways they bring blessing into your life and you to theirs. Third thing I notice here is how Christ-saturated these relationships are. Notice how he describes them. Verse 2, he says, welcome her in the Lord. Verse 3, he says, these are my co-workers in the ministry. Verse 5, the first convert to Christ. Verse 7, they became followers before me. Verse 8, my dear friend in the Lord. And you go through verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and on and on and on. Paul has saturated the relationship and the conversations that he has with Jesus' terms. See, these are not just a simple list of greetings. I'm amazed by this. This is the way that a person who's drenched in Jesus talks about his friends. When when you write your family and friends, when you talk on the phone, or you send an email, is Jesus in that conversation with you? Is there this sense that he is overwhelming all the things that are going on? You know, I've heard people say, you know, I don't really wear my religion on my sleeve, my faith on my sleeve, but be careful of that. Because it's not about what's on your sleeve. It's about what comes out of your mouth. It's about what comes at the end of your pencil or the end of your text. If Christ isn't there in your talk, in your email, it's not just a sleeve issue. It's not merely a personality issue. It's not merely an ethnic issue. It's not merely a family of origin issue. It's a heart issue. Because I'm not alone and you are my family. And if I'm not starting to think about you as family and I'm looking for ways to be divisive, that's what the 14th chapter was all about, by the way, is that Paul's calling them back to unity because they're one in Jesus. If I don't realize when I'm walking down the street and every person I see, even that person that cut me off on Colerain Avenue yesterday, wait, I better stop there for a minute. Um, Even that person is made in the image of God. And sometimes... I look in the car and guess who I see? You. Yeah, and you look in my car and see me. One of you were talking about this the other day. I passed you on 275. Said I could barely tell it was you, Rick. I was by him in a hurry. Thank you for the grace. But there's that aspect of how do we care for each other? And Paul drenches this conversation with these people who are amazing. Fourth thing I want you to notice is that they're spread over several churches in Rome. You see, the way church was set up in Rome at that point in time is groups of 20 or 30 would gather together. In fact, that's the way it is in most parts of the world because Christians are not liked. We're we're not allowed to gather in big meeting rooms like this. Maybe you saw the news not long ago where one of the large church buildings in in China was just torn down. Government came in and wiped it right out. Where I was in Nepal, they meet in groups of 5, 10, 15, 20 in houses, in homes, because they can gather there and not bring attention to themselves. In Rome, that was the way it was there too, because Christians are right on the edge. A little bit later after this situation is when Nero gets so ticked off at the Christians and he blames them for the burning of Rome and starts to light the Appian Way with their bodies as he would hang them on a pole. Paul is later killed by Nero. And, and you go through 
that kind of stuff. But at this point in time, relative peace, but they met together in homes. Met together in homes. That's why we do life groups around here, because that's where you get to know people. That's how you get to know them more than their name. Notice he talks about Priscilla and Aquila, who give them my greetings and the church in their home. Uh, he says, give my greetings to these five guys. I can never say their names. See, there was five guys long before there were five guys because they're here. Some of you got that. Thank you very much. It says, and to the brothers and sisters who meet in there, meet with them, the church that meets with them. There were groupings all the way across Rome. We think there were anywhere from six to ten groupings, which would only be about 300 believers at that point in time. And yet they were already divided. Fifth thing I want you to notice is the most common request, the most common command is to greet. To greet. Thirteen times in these 16 verses, he tells them, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. Who's he talking about? And I assume this letter is written to all Roman Christians. In Romans 1.7, he says, I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his holy people. It seems that Paul expects this letter to continue to be read in all the churches that met in Rome. And he's mentioned many of the leaders of those churches in this letter right here. He's telling them, greet these people and all the churches that they represent. Man, I, w- I want to encourage you. One of the things I love about this place is, the, is the, the, the gathering that takes place out in our lobby in that foyer. I love to hear the voices in here. Sometimes our music is a little louder in the pre-service time. It's harder to talk, so we're trying to bring that back down. So you can build relationships and get to know people here in this room. Greet one another. When you're out and about, do you greet one another? That's what Paul's saying here. I want you to notice one other thing, too, about this whole passage. Notice how love just permeates this chapter. These are Jews and Gentiles that he mentions in here. These are the people who are divided. And yet Paul uses love language. And not only does he use love language, he uses love actions for the folks who are here in this passage of Scripture. Another translation says, My beloved Eponidas, Empolitis, my beloved in the Lord, my beloved Stachys. And, and he goes on and on, beloved, beloved, beloved. And it's not just a word that Paul uses, but he expects an action that takes place from that. This is not a sappy ending to a book. This is a marching orders for the church to care for each other, the language of love. So I want to jump in just in these few minutes I got left to two of the, two of the relationships that he talks about here, to Phoebe and to Aquila and Priscilla. And I want to look at what Paul says exactly about them. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to 16 as well, and we'll jump back in there again. First of all, there's Phoebe. He says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who's a deacon, in other words, their servant, in the church in Chindria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, especially to me. Phoebe's the first person who's mentioned in these 16 verses, who's not living in Rome. She's come to Rome, and Paul's asking the church to receive her in the Lord in the way that saints ought to, to meet her needs. Paul's commending her. She's the only one here that's actually commended in the whole text. I wonder why he commends her. I think it's for this reason. I think here's what happens is she's the one who's bringing the letter from Corinth, from Paul, to the Roman church. She's the one who's going to be explaining this letter to the church in Rome. She's the one who would go to the different house meetings and explain this letter that Paul had sent. She's the one who reads the letter. And oftentimes in that first century, when you read the letter, it was, it was, a, 
there was not a formal reading where you just went, but there was, there was emotion to that. There was passion to it. There was in, interjections when people would say, wait, 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 stop there for a minute. I don't quite understand what he would say. And Phoebe would explain that. That's how letters were written, these kinds of formal letters in that time. She appears to be a, woman's, a, a woman of means. The word helpful that's used there in verse 2 that we translate deacon in this translation, others say servant. She's helped many, many people, including Paul, he says. It may well be that she's a successful businesswoman like Lydia in Acts chapter 16, that she's able to share that wealth with others, and she travels from port to port and can be entrusted with this letter. She's also brave because it seems that she travels by herself, to get to Rome, which is very unusual in the first century. Probably could pay for those who could protect her. Paul says three things about her. Notice in the text. He says, first of all, she's our sister. Our sister. She doesn't say she's my, he doesn't say she's my sister alone. She says she's, he says she is all our sister. Man, that's hard to say. He says, she says. She's our sister. Even though they never met Phoebe before, he uses this intimate language because they're in the family of God together. When we introduce ourselves to each other, maybe you haven't met this person. I, I know it used to be traditional, particularly in the Christian church, that we actually introduced each other as brother or sister. You know, I, in fact, I was at a conference just recently and, and uh, a couple of the older folks introduced me to another, another person who said, this is Brother Rick, he's from Cincinnati. I went, whoa, who's that? And we don't use that kind of language like we used to. Brother and sister. And so he's telling them she's a part of our family, even if you haven't met her. Take care of her. She needs a place to stay. She needs food. She'll need to be encouraged. Take care of her. Second thing he says up there, she's a servant. Translated deacon here. That idea of of being a servant is the same, the word that we use. She may have been an official deacon in the church. Uh, sitting and helping the rest of the people who were there in Corinth. And deacons were often charged with the kind of ministries mercy describes. Matthew 24 may be a list, or 25 may be a list of some of the things they did. 2544 says these kinds of things. Feed the hungry, take care of the refugee, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit the imprisoned. Phoebe was not afraid to go out of her way to care for those who were on the outskirts of society. And, of course, there are many, many more. And I think Paul wants them to, to pay attention to what she says. She's not just somebody having to pick up a piece of paper. She's important. Third thing, she's a patron and partner. says right here, help her in whatever she needs for. She has been helpful to many, and especially to me. She, she's been a crucial partner. And, and I'm amazed. You are, too, I know. In this century, women were seen as, as uh, being owned by their, by their husbands. They, they tended to be put down and put away put to the side. Phoebe's in a very influential position. And Paul really raises up women in the first century with texts like this. Sometimes he talks about some other things whenever there's misuse of the relationships. But here he's reminding us of how important women are. And they've been absolutely crucial throughout the history of the church. Partners in marriage and partners as single women with men all the way through the church. Because there's no mention in this that Phoebe has a as a husband. And at least seven of the names that are here in this text are women, and they're not on the sidelines. They have been an important, incredible part of the church. 
the, the role of women, the courage of women is simply breathtaking throughout history of the church. I want you to hang on to that for a minute. Second place I want you to look is Romans, uh, the rest of Romans, when we talk about Aquila and Priscilla, a married couple. Here's what the text says about them. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. And also give my greetings to the church that meets in their homes. I want to hold up this challenge now to our married couples. We've seen that Phoebe is single and that she's deeply involved in the ministry of the church. But here Paul holds up a married couple, so he's covering all the bases, if I can say it this way of the marital relationships that would have been in the first century. And, and Phoebe seems to have this amazing freedom to travel, but, but here we see this amazing couple. Maybe there are some things, whether you're single or whether you're married, that you're dreaming about ministry. And Paul is saying, dream on, get busy. Here's a couple of things I noticed about them. First of all, they're movers. It says Priscilla and Aquila. As they're there, we know from the book of Acts and from Romans and Second Timothy that Aquila was from Pontus. That's in the northern part of, of, of Turkey today. He and Priscilla then move from there and they go to Rome. And they're there until they're driven out uh, by the Emperor Claudius in AD 49. They, then they meet Paul in Corinth and then they travel to Ephesus. They settle there for a while, and there's a house, a church that meets in their house in Ephesus. Then, then they move from there back to Rome, in Rome 16, 3, as we see. And they have a church in their house there. And then finally we meet them in 2 Timothy four nineteen, and they're back in Ephesus, and that's the last time we hear of them. They probably had a church in their home there as well. Take a look at this map. It shows you how they moved around. Remember we said he's from Pontus here? Moves from Pontus to Rome? from Rome to Corinth, which is right in here by Athens, to Ephesus, back to Rome, back to Ephesus. That, that is not an easy trip, folks. And, and they make it as a couple because they follow how God leads them and what he's teaching them. So what little we know is that they go back and forth. It's not an easy life. It, it, is, it is a good one. They are sojourners. They're exiles. They follow Jesus. And everywhere they are, it seems, there's a church in their house. They take Jesus with them. They don't expect somebody to take care of them in another place. Is God calling you to live like that? One of the things I appreciate about White Oak, and maybe you have seen that in the short time that you've been here, even for a long time. White Oak is very much what I call a catch-and-release church. And what I mean by catch and release is we challenge people to come and follow Jesus. We help to raise you up to be ministers for him. And then we release you. There are White Oak Church members who grew up here, who spent time here, who are all around the world. And I mean literally all around the world. Africa, India, Haiti, Myanmar, on and on. And even Indiana. I mean, they're all over. And we have, we have several folks here because we are a, excuse me, we're a university center. And so oftentimes, our, you know, our kids will go to university here and then they move somewhere else in the world. I mean, we have a couple of families now that are coming towards the end of their, their time here in Cincinnati. They've been trained here. They're going to be out in other places. Even Wisconsin, Jerry. Yeah, Minnesota. Places like that. 
Because that's what, that's what happens to us. We don't just stay in one. I know we're Westsiders, but we don't just stay in one spot. God moves us and we go. Second thing I want you to notice here is that they're workers. He says, they're my co-workers in the ministry. Co-workers. Paul doesn't say, I'm in charge and they do some things. He says, they're co-workers. Everywhere they went, they had a view to serve Jesus. They were not professional missionaries. They were tent makers. They had their own business. And everywhere they went, they set up their business. And it seems like they turned it all into ministry because Paul talks about them being his co-workers. I love that phrase. Some people are in the ministry. Some people are in medicine. Some people work at P&G. Some people work in uh, politics. Some people work in our church. But Priscilla and Aquila worked in Christ Jesus. So whether they were making tents or playing for 20 or 30 people to be a part of their home church, they were co-workers in the ministry of Christ. Here's what I want you to think about when you go to work on Monday. Jesus is your boss. Somebody else might give you a paycheck, but Jesus is your boss. Because you are in the work that Jesus has put you. You're in a strategic place where he can use you. And you are not alone. Because here are a group of people here that can encourage you to be involved in that. Third thing I noticed about him is they're risk takers. He says this very simply. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful for them and so are all the Gentile churches. Interesting how he says that. Because Phoebe has given up what she has and has moved from Corinth and Chinteria to Rome to take this letter. Paul loved her for that and he trusted her. Probably the most valuable thing that he had he gave to her was that letter. And yet here he also mentions something more amazing even though about Priscilla and Aquila when he says once risked their lives. That's code for they risked their necks. They stood in front of something that was so dangerous that it would have killed Paul. And and if Paul's killed, the Gentile church never shows up. At least not for a while. God's still going to reach his people. But Paul says that's why the Gentiles even are thankful for Priscilla and Aquila. Because of whatever they did, Scripture doesn't tell us what they did, whatever they did kept Paul alive so he could preach the gospel to the Gentiles. They were not afraid to risk their lives for Paul. And he says, I'm thankful for them. I want you couples to see that they did that as couples. I want you singles to see the work that a single adult does in that first century. I don't know what God's got in store for you, but are you ready? And are you willing to go to where he sends you? What a chapter, chapter 16. I mean, all this stuff. We see Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila and, and what a great Lord and Savior they served. And we can join them and we can be like them. And why is that? Because Paul's concerned about unity, and that's why he says you're not alone. He says you join together with these other believers, and you see this amazing stuff that God begins to do. The division in the Roman church devastated Paul. And he says, we can't be that way, so greet these people who are different from you, who lead churches in other parts of the city than where you go, and encourage them all along. All these people, Jew and Gentile, working together. Notice how he begins to end the book in verse 17, though, as he starts to say, here's what's going to start happening to you. He says, now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing right and to stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus 
be with you. A week or so ago, Brandon and I were at International Conference on Mission, a couple others of you were too. We watched this video of Pioneer Bible Translators put out from the Waran tribe in Papua New Guinea. The Waran did not have a written language when the Bible translators came into town. And, and what the Bible translators did was translated their language and then translated the Bible into their language and gave them a written language for the first time. There was this amazing celebration as they bring the Bible into the villages along the river in which the Waran lived. And they were so excited to get the Bible. They were so excited to be able to read it. One Waran said, I love God, but now I love him more because he speaks my language. Think about that, Christians. God speaks our language. And are we in this book? Do we have that same excitement that the Warren people had that the Bible was coming to them and they read it, the pictures? I mean, Brandon and I are sitting there bawling. It was just amazing to watch. I mean, not playing basketball. I mean, crying. We literally were. I, I could hardly, it was just so touching. And we may show it someday so you can cry for it too. But I thought about us back here. How many of these we have on our shelves? And how easy it is for someone to deceive us because we're not students of this book. Paul wants the Romans to be certain of the victory that they've won. And so this is the only time in this whole book that he brings up the name Satan. And he says, be careful because there'll be people who want to divide you and will try to ascend Satan, so to speak, in your midst. And I think he doesn't talk about it till this time because he doesn't want the Romans uh, using Satan as an excuse for their sin. And and so he reminds them here, you are not alone. Do not let people divide you over theology or politics or practices or popularity. You're not alone. It's fascinating now with all this discussion about sin and brokenness that goes all the way through those first 15 chapters. Paul doesn't bring up Satan until now. And what does he say about Satan? He says Satan has been defeated. That's why he comes at the end, because he's been defeated. He has no power over us. We cannot use him as an excuse for our behavior. How do we know Satan has been defeated? Well, first of all, we stand together. And when we stand together, some things can happen. But here's what we know. We know, first of all, that Satan's been defeated decisively in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He is already defeated. second thing that we know is that he's being defeated now by Christ through Christians who speak the word of God and put on the whole armor of God. That's why you need to know the word of God so you can speak it against him. That's what Jesus does when Satan tries to tempt him. And the third thing that we know is he will finally be vanquished and thrown in the lake of fire, never to deceive or torment the world again. That's in Revelation when Jesus comes back. We are victors, folks. We should act like that. Here's the deal. Don't be fascinated by a foe who is utterly defeated. Don't be fascinated by him. There'll be stories about him. There is power that is used in our world. But don't be fascinated by Satan. He seeks to divide and to conquer. So here's what we're going to... We're going to do something special at, at our communion time today. So those of you who are serving communion, if you go back right now and get prepared for that. And then I'll give you instructions when you come back in the room. <clears throat> Paul begins this, ends this letter the same way that he began it when he talks to them about the grace of God in their lives. And he reminds them, as it says at the very end of this passage, the very end of this text, may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. 
Every week we gather together around a pictured table. We, we gather together for communion. The church does that every week because we want to realize we are not alone, that Jesus is with us, and that there are others here in this room who will encourage us. So here's what I want you to do. In preparation for communion, in just a minute, the ushers will come in, men and women will pass a tray with a cup, nested cups, a cup of with bread in it, a cup with juice. But I want you to hold on to it today because we're all going to take it together. But here's what I want you to do before that time. After I pray, I want you to introduce yourself to one or two people who are sitting around you and greet them the way it says here. We greet, and then I want to ask you to ask them about something you can be praying about. Because when it's talked about, when communion is talked about in, in uh, Corinthians and uh, he talks about, don't do this without discerning the body. And it's too easy for us at times to go, okay, the body is the blood and the body of Jesus. I have to discern that. So I think about this piece of bread and this cup of juice. I think, I think Paul's talking about the body of Christ, which is you. And we discern the body by getting to know each other. And one of the ways in which we discern the body is asking, well, how can I be praying for you? I, I had five people down here in front of the first service that I'd never really met. I've seen them here a couple times. And I asked, how can I pray for you? I've got their names here, so I'll remember them. And one of them said, I'm a freshman at UC. I'm finishing up. I just need to be, I need you to pray for the end of my semester. Another person said, I'm having my four, oops, excuse me for that tell. I'm having my four wisdom teeth removed. I think she said the day before Christmas. That's how well I, I listen. Can you imagine? <laughs> Maybe it's the day after. I'm afraid. And, and she said, and, and even more is, I'm going to be a dental hygienist. I said, Jesus is going to teach you how to care for people you're going to take care of. I don't know what you need prayed for. That's what I want you to do. In this, as soon as I pray, I want you to get up. Maybe you're talking to people right beside you. Maybe you need to move a little bit. And find someone that you may not know or know well and greet each other. How can I pray? You begin to pray, and then we'll bring in the elements and we'll pass those. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for today. Look forward to the things you're going to do in our lives. In these next few minutes, surprise us with the fact that we are not alone, not just that you have us holding you you, you, it's not just you holding us in your arms, but these people here are brothers and sisters who care for us as well. So use these next minutes to remind us of that. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Greet one another. <laughs>